Due to the graphic nature of this couple's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of sexual situations and homicidal intent that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Hazel heard the phone ring just half a ring before it cut off. She looked over at her husband, Trevor, asleep on his side of the bed. He didn't even stir. Okay, good. She waited for the phone to ring again. If it did, it was Colin. This was their little code. Half a ring, and then a hang-up. When the phone rang again, she knew to grab it quickly. If Trevor was around, she'd act like it was the wrong number. But if he was away or asleep, she could talk to her lover for hours. Hazel grabbed the phone on the first ring. She loved hearing Colin's voice. Sometimes that was enough for them, just to talk for hours. But tonight, it wasn't enough for Colin. Colin wanted to see her. He was going to come over. That's ridiculous, Hazel whispered. Trevor was home. He could wake up at any time. It was too risky. But Colin insisted. Hazel tried again, half-heartedly, to talk him out of it. But she knew it was useless. She had only been seeing Colin for a couple of months, but already she learned that Colin does what Colin wants. So Hazel slipped out of bed and unlocked the back door. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a ParCast original. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore passionate crimes. How does a marriage progress from husband and wife to killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we are doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you are listening. It really does help us. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. To the outside world, Colin Howell was a devout Christian, successful businessman, and devoted husband and father. But after Hazel Buchanan entered his life in 1990, Colin's alter ego was exposed, and his dark side was deadly. In this episode, we'll discuss how Colin and Hazel met their spouses and then how they met each other. Next week, we'll explore the aftermath of two crimes, an investigation, and a cover-up. Colin Howell and Leslie Clark met in the spring of 1980 in Belfast, Northern Ireland. It was at a church gathering, which wasn't surprising. They had both been raised in devout Protestant homes and shared a love for God and for the Bible. Colin was a 21-year-old student at Queen's University School of Dentistry. Leslie was a 20-year-old student nurse at Royal Victoria Hospital. 
Colin had dreamed of medical school, but his mediocre grades ended those plans. At the university, Colin was quiet and kept to himself. His evangelical Baptist faith clashed with the college antics his classmates were getting into. Leslie, however, was outgoing and worldly with a sharp wit. It puzzled friends when the pair began dating. They couldn't figure out what the lively nursing student saw in shy and awkward Colin Howe. Colin had very little experience with dating before meeting Leslie, and he fell for her immediately. He felt a possessiveness over her even after only a few dates. One night, Leslie arrived home from a date with a young doctor she met at the hospital. She found Colin waiting for her. Out of jealousy, Colin put his hands on the other man and helped him out of Leslie's apartment building. He couldn't stand to see Leslie dating another man, let alone someone living his dream career. Leslie didn't feel this strongly about Colin. In October of 1981, Leslie sat down to write a letter to her best friend from childhood, Valerie. She struggled for the words to write to explain her relationship. They had been dating briefly, and he was madly in love with her. On paper, Colin was the perfect man. He knew the Bible well, he was on his way to a successful career, and he wanted to settle down and have a family. But Leslie just didn't see a future that included Colin, how could she explain to her friend why she was still dating a man she felt lukewarm towards? She couldn't even explain it to herself. However, 10 months later, she wrote to Valerie and confessed her feelings had changed. Colin and Leslie took a vacation in the summer of 1982 to Greece. While there, Leslie realized she only had eyes for Colin. They were having fun together and getting along well. Colin, it turned out, was the one. But the couple had a secret. They had been having premarital sex for quite some time, which was a sin in their faith. In 1982, Leslie became pregnant. Their secret would be exposed, even if they hurried to get married. Abortion was illegal in Northern Ireland, but it had been legalized in the rest of the United Kingdom. Colin insisted that Leslie go with him to a clinic in London to terminate the pregnancy. Leslie was torn. Premarital sex was a sin, but so was abortion. However, Colin asserted he wasn't ready for a marriage and a family. He hadn't finished school yet. He wouldn't be this baby's father. So what was her alternative? Be an unmarried mother? Worried Colin would leave her if she didn't agree to the abortion, Leslie traveled to England with him, and then two more times over the next year, she went back to the same clinic after having gotten pregnant again. Please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for this show. According to grief recovery specialist Stephen Moeller, grief after an abortion is common, but many don't reach out for help because of the stigma of their choice or, in Colin and Leslie's case, because they were keeping it a secret. The untreated grief can cause issues with intimacy in the relationship. For Colin, the guilt and grief weighed on him. He was the one who had been so passionate about Leslie at the beginning of their relationship, and now he doubted their future. Leslie had the abortions because she was afraid of losing Colin, and ironically, 
he was considering breaking up with her because of them. After a lot of prayer, Colin realized the only option he had was to marry Leslie. He had engaged in premarital sex and arranged for three abortions. No other Christian woman would want him after what he had done. The only way to proceed would be to marry the woman who engaged in these sins with him and make it work. Guilt and shame accompanied the couple down the aisle of the Windsor Baptist Church in Belfast on July 16, 1983. But they were determined to move forward with love and with God at the center of their lives. The couple moved to Coleraine shortly after their wedding. There, they immediately joined Coleraine Baptist Church to make good on their vows to honor God. Colin took a new job at a busy dental practice. It was going to be a clean start. The congregation helped Colin grow from a shy young man into a leader. He worked with the youth program and anywhere else his help was needed. Between his work at the dental practice and his church activities, Colin kept himself busy. Leslie initially found work as a nurse at a nearby hospital, but she quit to stay home when their first son, Matthew, was born in October 1984. However, Leslie found being home with a baby isolating and, frankly, boring. Bible study and church playgroups provided Leslie with a social outlet, but she missed her career. As a nurse, Leslie had thrived in the high-paced environment. She was a talented problem solver, but the problems she was being faced with as a housewife were which brand of peace to buy and what time should Matthew go down for his nap. Instead of rushing between patients' rooms, she was watching the clock to see when it was time to change another diaper. Even though she was struggling to find personal fulfillment, Leslie loved being a mother. In November 1986, the couple welcomed their second child, a daughter they named Lauren. Colin's career continued to grow, and in 1988, he decided it was time to strike out on his own. He opened his own practice and equipped the office with top-of-the-line tools and machines. As Colin built his business, he also sank the family into immense debt. But he was confident his patients would appreciate the state-of-the-art care. The money would come. In May 1989, Leslie gave birth to their third child, Daniel, and Colin thought a young dentist on the rise should have a home worthy of his status. So, in November of 1989, the family moved into a brand new house. Certain features of the new home, like cabinet fixtures and flooring, were left undone so that the Howells could decorate to their tastes. Except they had no money left for these expenses. Colin had borrowed all that he could, so the family moved into their beautiful new abode without so much as a carpet on the floor. Yet Colin couldn't have been happier. He was 30 years old and was already a respected church leader, esteemed businessman with his own dental practice, and a devoted family man with a beautiful home. No one outside the home knew that he was harboring several dark secrets. The biggest secret was a short-lived affair with an old friend from college. Though we don't know the exact time frame of the affair, we do know Leslie found out about it shortly after the birth of their third child in 1989. A fling was all he claimed it was, and it was over by the time Leslie found out. It had only lasted a few weeks, 
But that was all it took to fracture the marriage and damage Leslie's self-esteem. Leslie was also struggling with postpartum depression, and not for the first time. She had experienced it to a lesser degree after the birth of her second child. Cheryl Beck is a professor at the University of Connecticut who focuses her research on postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. In 2001, she published a paper looking at the risk factors for postpartum depression. In looking at over 80 previous studies, she identified 13 risk factors for postpartum depression. Leslie had at least seven of them. Among these were a previous history of depression and marital stress. Another risk factor was financial stress, something that was only growing for the Howells. In the wake of his affair, Colin tried to make up for cheating by buying Leslie the things she wanted. It was definitely easier than giving Leslie and the marriage the time and attention they needed. Unfortunately, this just sank the family further into debt since Colin hadn't paid off the loans from his business. Eventually, Leslie's checks started to bounce. When she took them to Colin, he assured her it was a minor issue. Health services was slow to pay the invoices he sent. It would all work out in the end when those payments came in. One day, Leslie attempted to withdraw money from the bank to buy groceries, only to find that every account was severely overdrawn. Leslie was furious. She had been an independent woman before her marriage. She managed her money well, even affording trips overseas. When she married Colin, she trusted him with the family's money as the head of the household. She had trusted him with a lot of things, and it seemed he just kept letting her down. Leslie grabbed the phone and called Colin's office. She asked Colin's receptionist, Tanya, how much money was in the petty cash box. It was 400 pounds, or about $1,300 in today's money. Leslie said to put it aside. She was coming to collect it. She was leaving Colin. This came out of the blue for Tanya. She had never so much as heard Colin and Leslie bicker. Leslie always managed to put on a smile for the outside world, so very few knew about the pain of the affair, the depression she was suffering from, or the dire financial straits the family was in. Leslie was as good at keeping Colin's secrets as he was. Colin overheard Tanya's side of the phone conversation and instructed Tanya to stash the money before Leslie could get there. He would deal with it. Tanya, reluctant to involve herself, did as she was asked. Colin and Leslie resolved the issue in private. Whatever Colin said to Leslie that day must have worked. She decided not to leave him. If Leslie questioned this decision in the weeks that followed, those questions were answered in December of 1989 when she found out she was pregnant again. Up next, Leslie renews her commitment to her marriage while Cullen's eye begins to wander again. Now back to the story. It was Christmas time, 1989, and the Howell family had just moved into their new home. After finding out her 30-year-old husband, Colin Howe, had cheated on her and driven the family into debt, divorce was on Leslie Howe's mind. Unfortunately, she had just found out she was pregnant with their fourth child. 
how could she leave now? She hadn't worked for the last five years. She knew half of the piling debts from the marriage would be her responsibility in a divorce. More than that, her depression was crippling. Some days, she had to force herself out of bed to pour cereal for the children. Even if she found the energy to leave, could she really care for four little children on her own while working full-time? But staying and resolving the problems in her marriage didn't seem much easier. Colin wasn't the man she thought he was. He had a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality. He could recite scripture and then sleep with another woman. He could hold her hand in church and then leave her alone and depressed for long hours while he did whatever Colin wanted. It seemed Colin was one person when people were watching and then another one when it was just the two of them. But Leslie had to remember the good times they had, like the long summer days on the beaches in Greece. At night, he would lovingly tuck the children in and tenderly kiss them goodnight. She loved to watch him at parties, charming everyone as he moved through the room. She loved him, and she knew he was a good man underneath all of this. Deep down, he was a godly man. She didn't know how, but she was going to make the marriage work. Colin, however, had other plans. Though his brief affair was over, it had excited him. It made him feel powerful and desirable. He liked knowing he was taking the attention of another man's wife. Even as he convinced Leslie not to leave him, his eye continued to roam. When Leslie was several months pregnant with their fourth baby in the early summer of 1990, 31-year-old Colin began bringing the two oldest children, ages three and five, to swim lessons at the local leisure center. Colin made small talk with the other parents sitting off to the side, watching their children. Glancing over the pool, he couldn't help but notice 27-year-old Hazel Buchanan swimming laps alone. Colin stopped in his tracks. He had, of course, noticed her at church and at the preschool where she taught. Colin's daughter was her student. Hazel was beautiful. She was young, fit, and stylish, though shy. They had never exchanged more than a few words during the three or four years they attended church together. And yet, instead of watching his children swim that day, Colin watched Hazel. The morning of the next swim lesson, Colin grabbed his swim trunks on his way out the door. When Hazel got into the pool, Colin slipped into the lane with her. He offered to help Hazel with her swim strokes by holding her waist and giving her tips. Sure, Hazel said. That would be kind of him. Colin stole a quick glance at the group of mothers off to the side, busy chatting, and occasionally waving at their children. They weren't paying any attention to Colin and Hazel a few swim lanes over. Over the next few weeks, Colin's attraction to Hazel grew as he continued to help her with her swimming. And he didn't think he was imagining things when he noticed Hazel flirting with him. After all, she didn't really need a swim instruction. Flirting was all it was until one day, Colin acted on an impulse. Hazel's legs stretched out in front of him, looked smooth and slick in the water. Before he realized what he was doing, he rubbed one hand up Hazel's thigh. 
He could have stopped there, but he kept going higher. His hand reached her stomach, and he drew it back down her leg. Doubt hit Colin all at once. Oh, God, what did I just do? Colin quickly apologized before Hazel had a chance to slap him or to yell. Hazel looked at him. Then she said, I'm not so innocent myself. She lightly pushed past him and swam down the lane. Colin didn't only feel relief at Hazel's reaction. He felt excitement. Colin wanted to chase that excitement, so he eagerly volunteered to take the children to a beach outing organized by the church. Colin always enjoyed outings with the kids. It was something Leslie loved about him. She was nearing the end of the pregnancy, so it was extra sweet that Colin offered to take the children so she could stay home and rest. As the mother of young children, it was a rare treat to be home all alone, and Leslie was going to enjoy it. When Colin and the children arrived at the beach in Castle Rock, several other parents were already there. But Colin was only interested in talking to one of them, Hazel Buchanan. Hazel, like Colin, had grown up in a religious home. In 1981, at the age of 18, she married Trevor Buchanan, a 22-year-old police constable. They soon had two children and moved to Coleraine in 1986, where they joined the Coleraine Baptist Church. Trevor had not grown up in a particularly religious household, but he attended church with Hazel. Initially, he did this just to keep her happy. Trevor would do just about anything to make Hazel happy. His friends and family said he practically worshipped her, but soon she got him to worship God too. A few years into the marriage, Trevor experienced a true conversion and became a faithful Christian. Hazel spent her days in Coleraine caring for their two children and keeping her house. Unlike Leslie, who found household chores dull, Hazel loved to make her home a showcase. She often ordered new furniture, though Trevor's constable pay was never quite enough for the things she wanted. Hazel felt frustrated at how content Trevor was with their middle-of-the-road life. Sometimes, Hazel would push him a little. He was smart enough to become a sergeant, and who knows, maybe he could even make it to inspector. If only he would think of what that would mean to their family if he got a promotion and a raise. If only he would try. But Trevor's response was always the same. Who needed the stress or politics of climbing the ranks of police service? If only Hazel could be happy with what they had. It wasn't that Hazel was unhappy. She was bored. Susie Johnson, author of Why Good Men Stray, believes that boredom in a partnership is the leading factor in infidelity. She writes, Boredom doesn't indicate a lack of love. It indicates a lack of newness. The same goes for marriage. A good marriage might give you security, but watch out. Sometimes that security comes with a big price tag. The security Trevor felt in the predictability of life comforted him, but it didn't comfort Hazel. It made her more susceptible to the charms of a successful dentist and respected church leader. She noticed how Colin looked at her and how he maneuvered to be sure they were walking together on the beach. This busy man took time out of his schedule to spend time with her. 
Trevor didn't do that. After the walk on the beach with the children, Colin offered for Hazel to bring her kids to his house to wash them up. She readily agreed. The kids, with sand in their hair, squirmed in the bathroom as their parents tried to get them clean. Hazel reached her hand over to Colin and ran her hand up his arm tenderly. Their eyes locked. Leaving the kids in the bathroom alone, Colin pulled Hazel into a bedroom and kissed her. Leslie was napping in the other room. Over the next few weeks, Colin and Hazel looked for excuses to see each other. Their best excuse? Guitar lessons. Colin was a talented guitarist and Hazel was a willing student. Trevor arrived home unexpectedly one day to find Colin and his wife in the middle of a lesson. The pair were sitting on the sofa with their guitars on their laps, but there was something in the way Colin and Hazel were interacting. Trevor felt uncomfortable about the attention Colin was paying to his wife. Trevor pulled Hazel into the kitchen to ask what was going on, and Hazel assured him it was an innocent music lesson. Trevor looked into her wide eyes. Hazel was so naive. She may not see anything wrong with it, Trevor thought, but he had Colin's number. Colin was up to something. Frustrated, Trevor stormed out of the house. Hazel lived a sheltered life as a child. Her parents protected her from the world, and when she married Trevor so young, he took over this caregiving. Hazel had little life experience, and she was dependent on Trevor for almost everything. But after she took the part-time job at the nursery school in early 1989, things began to change with Hazel. After eight years of being a housewife, she saw a life outside the walls of their home, and she started looking for other ways to be more independent. She went out on her own more. She started exercising regularly, taking long bicycle rides while Trevor was home with the kids. Hazel becoming more independent may have challenged Trevor's role in the relationship, leaving him feeling insecure and uncertain about how to meet Hazel's new needs. A change in a partner like this can be difficult. Licensed clinical social worker Irving Shatner wrote that some partners find themselves resentful of such changes, particularly if they were in the role of protector or caregiver before the changes were made. So it may not have been a shock to Trevor when late in the summer of 1990, he woke up to find a note on the mirror. It read, Going through a really hard time. Don't worry about me. Don't try and find me. I'll be back in a few days. I love you. Hazel. Though there had been changes in the relationship, Hazel's husband Trevor didn't know why Hazel needed these few days away. But Hazel's lover, Colin Howe, knew exactly why. A couple months into her affair with Colin, Hazel had found out she was pregnant. In the month prior to getting a positive pregnancy test, Hazel slept with both her husband and her lover. She didn't know which man was the father, and she didn't want to risk her marriage to Trevor by giving birth to a baby that looked like Colin. Hazel didn't tell Trevor about the pregnancy. She did not intend to continue it, so Colin flew them both to England. He took Hazel to the same London clinic that he had taken Leslie to. 
Meanwhile, Leslie was beginning to suspect her husband was hiding something. After his affair a year and a half ago, Leslie tried to forgive. Colin took his sins to the Lord and sought forgiveness from him. It was time for her to do as the Bible instructed and forgive her husband. But as much as she tried to calm her suspicions, she kept watching for signs Colin had strayed again. And Leslie began seeing the signs. There were the hushed phone calls at night when Colin thought Leslie was asleep. There were the long hours at the office that became more frequent. But most of all, she noticed the lack of emotional intimacy she recognized from his previous affair. Colin was pulling away from her again. In November of 1990, Leslie went to their pastor, John Hansford, to confide in him that she believed Colin was cheating again. Pastor Hansford confronted Colin, who denied it. Leslie was just overreacting. The pastor knew where his next stop would be. A few weeks earlier, a church elder told him that he saw Colin and Hazel in the park together. Their children and spouses were nowhere to be seen. They weren't doing anything except talking, but it seemed inappropriate. Pastor Hansford drove to the Buchanan's house to ask Hazel directly if she was involved with Colin Howell. Hazel initially denied the affair, but confided her marital troubles to Pastor Hansford. She explained how she was frustrated with Trevor's lack of ambition. Eventually, Hazel broke down into tears. She couldn't keep lying to her pastor. She confessed that yes, she had been involved with Colin Howell. It was an intense and inappropriate relationship, but she denied the two had ever had sex. Okay, so maybe she could still lie a little. Next, we'll see if there was any chance the pastor would keep Hazel's confessed emotional affair a secret. Now back to the story. Pastor Hansford took 27-year-old Hazel Buchanan's confession that she had been having an inappropriate friendship with Colin Howell, a 31-year-old married dentist. Hazel insisted the six-month-long affair was not sexual, but Pastor Hansford knew that emotional affairs could be as damaging as sexual ones. Psychotherapist Stacy Notaris Murphy told the Washington Post in 2017 that emotional affairs erode the emotional intimacy and bond between partners. She also said they often snowball into a full-blown sexual affair. Pastor Hansford worried Hazel and Colin would eventually cross the line into a sexual affair if this wasn't stopped right away. What he didn't know was that this line had already been crossed repeatedly. It was crossed in Hazel's bed when Trevor was at work. It was crossed in Colin's dental office after the staff had gone home for the night. It was even crossed in the utility room at the Buchanan's home while Trevor slept just two rooms away. Pastor Hansford went to the Howell home to tell Colin's wife, Leslie, what Hazel had told him. Leslie felt anger bubble up, but also, strangely, relief. It wasn't a sexual affair. She could handle this. They could get back on track. They waited together for Colin to come home. 
Pastor Hansford confronted Colin about the affair, and Colin admitted it with a story that matched Hazel's. They never had sex. Pastor Hansford offered to provide marriage counseling to both couples, but Colin and Hazel had to agree to stop contacting each other immediately. The church frowned on divorce, so the couples may have felt pressure to accept the offer of counseling. But Pastor Hansford said he told them an affair, even a non-sexual one, was grounds for a divorce, and that the church would support them with whatever they decided, whether it be two divorces, two separate sets of counseling, or different outcomes for each couple. After some thought and discussion, both couples opted to go through marriage counseling with Pastor Hansford. Knowing that Colin was recommitting to the marriage gave Leslie a boost of confidence. She believed the counseling, along with prayer, would work to save the relationship. She bought Colin a new Bible and decided they would have a vow renewal ceremony once they were past this rocky spot. But early on in the counseling, Colin realized he wanted out of the marriage. He missed Hazel. He felt forced to nod along in the marriage counseling sessions as his wife Leslie listed all his failings. He followed Pastor Hansford's warning not to see Hazel, but Colin couldn't stop thinking about her. Colin looked at his wife and compared her to Hazel. She didn't measure up. Leslie was smart and witty, and that wit was often used to throw a sharp barb at Colin. But Hazel was quiet, and she admired Colin's intelligence. Leslie ignored the piles of laundry and dishes, while Hazel kept her home neat and tidy. Colin often had to fix the children's evening meal, bathe them, and put them to bed on his own while Leslie laid on the couch. He imagined Hazel doing those things with him, side by side. His four children, and Hazel's two, would make a large, happy family. Leslie's initial confidence about saving the marriage began slipping away as she constantly watched for signs Colin was still seeing Hazel. Colin, wanting to avoid this hypervigilance, pulled further away. Even though he wasn't seeing Hazel, he was avoiding Leslie as much as possible, and Leslie's drinking increased as she tried to cope. One time, Colin said he came home to find Leslie passed out drunk on the floor and their toddler son holding a broken glass milk jug. It was only luck that he arrived before the little boy hurt himself. According to Robert T. Muller, author of Trauma and the Avoidant Client, counseling couples through infidelity often requires a similar approach as counseling a client with post-traumatic stress disorder. The symptoms are often the same, such as insomnia, hypervigilance, and difficulty functioning in daily life. But this was not the type of counseling that Pastor Hansford, as well-intentioned as he was, provided for Leslie. Though Colin wanted out of the marriage, he couldn't imagine that it was possible for him. Sure, Pastor Hansford said divorce would be permitted by the church due to the affair, but what would people think? He was a leader in the church. He was respected. A man like that wouldn't leave his wife and four small children. There were already whispers in the congregation about the affair. It would be a full-blown scandal if he left Leslie for Hazel. So without any real commitment or interest, Colin went through the motions of reconciling with his wife. 
at least while people were watching, that is. Within the walls of the Howell home, little changed. The couple continued to fight, and Colin remained emotionally unavailable to his wife. Trevor and Hazel Buchanan, on the other hand, appeared to be making progress in counseling. Hazel made no attempts to contact Colin. She and Trevor continued to attend the Coleraine Baptist Church, but they made sure they went to the evening service since the Howells usually went to the morning service. If they happened to go in the morning, they sat themselves as far away from the Howells as possible. Trevor told a friend that he could see the problems in the marriage that led Hazel to seek out someone else for attention and comfort. He was committed to fixing the issues and rebuilding the relationship. And Trevor believed that his wife had never had sex with Colin. Both couples were in counseling for several weeks before the true nature of the affair was revealed. Colin went to Pastor Hansford privately to confess that he and Hazel did have sex. He told the pastor he knew he had to come clean to receive God's full forgiveness. Pastor Hansford knew Leslie would not cope well with this information. He agreed to come over to the house and counsel Leslie privately before Colin made his full confession. Colin waited in a bedroom while the pastor sat with Leslie and tried to build her up before she heard what Colin had to tell her. Colin then joined them in the kitchen. He told Leslie that he broke the most sacred of their marriage vows again. He and Hazel had slept together. Leslie stood in complete silence. She looked straight ahead as Colin braced himself for the verbal berating he knew was coming. Then suddenly, Leslie's shock broke and she began screaming and cursing. She threw herself at Colin, trying to hurt him wherever her hands landed. Colin covered his head and ducked down, avoiding her blows while trying not to put his hands on her. Leslie then ran into the bathroom and locked the door. By the time Leslie came out of the bathroom, Pastor Hansford had already left. Leslie was unsteady on her feet. Without a word, she grabbed the car keys and left. Colin looked into the bathroom and saw an empty bottle of painkillers on the floor with pills scattered around. He had no idea how many she had taken. In a full panic, Colin called Pastor Hansford to come back to the house. He didn't know what else to do. After Pastor Hansford arrived, Leslie walked in the door and passed right by Colin without a word. She was distraught, and Pastor Hansford talked her into going to the emergency room, where they pumped her stomach and admitted her for three days. Leslie's impulsive suicide attempt scared her. According to a study done by LaSalle University in Pennsylvania, people who impulsively attempt suicide believe their attempts are less likely to be successful. Basically, they have an expectation they may survive the experience when in fact, the lethality of impulsive suicides is the same as planned ones. Leslie realized she did not want to die. Even with her marital problems, with the adultery and constant financial mess, Leslie wanted to live for her children. They were still so little and they needed her. Colin also had regrets about her attempt. Why couldn't it have worked? Why did she have to come back at all? 
She was woozy from the pain medication and behind the wheel. It would have been so easy for her to veer a little too far into the other lane. Then her pain would be over, and so would his. But Leslie did survive, so Colin continued to go through the motions of being the doting husband and father he wanted people to believe him to be. With the full truth of the affair out, Trevor and Leslie began meeting away from Pastor Hansford and their spouses to talk things over. No one knew their pain quite like the other one. Leslie had confided in some friends about the details of the affair, but Trevor largely had not. He was too embarrassed. Leslie was the only person who knew the details of the affair, and Trevor felt he could talk more openly with her. But Leslie wondered if rehashing everything over and over again together was making it too hard for them to move on. Colin was also having a hard time moving on. The attraction he felt for Hazel did not lessen with time. He later likened it to an addiction. He was four months into detox and he wasn't getting any better. In the spring of 1991, Pastor Hansford told Colin and Leslie that the Buchanans were doing well in their counseling and Hazel had recommitted to her marriage. Leslie felt relief. Hazel had removed herself from the battle for Colin's affection. Now, her marriage had a fighting chance. But Colin was stunned. He couldn't believe it. He spent four months pining for Hazel and she simply got over him? Impossible. She loved him. She had to. He wouldn't believe she didn't unless he heard it from Hazel directly. So in March 1991, Colin picked up the phone and dialed Hazel's number for the first time in four months. Colin let the phone ring half a ring before he hung up. Then he called back. She would know it was him. Her choice to answer the phone or not would give him his answer. Hazel picked up. Colin smiled. He missed her. She missed him too. She also had spent four months going through the motions of counseling, hoping things would get better. But they hadn't. Nothing had changed between her and Trevor. By early April 1991, Colin and Hazel had resumed their affair. Shortly after that, Leslie called a friend. Something odd had happened. Leslie was lying in the bath one evening. She had taken the tape player into the bathroom and plugged it into an extension cord. Colin came into the bathroom and told her he needed the tape player. When he picked it up to unplug it, the extension cord dropped into the bath and Leslie thought she had gotten a small shock from it. Leslie told her friend this with a bit of a laugh, but also said she wanted her friend to know because she wasn't entirely sure it was an accident. She didn't think Colin would do anything to hurt her like that. But Colin had done a lot of things she never thought he would do. She just needed her friend to know this in case anything ever happened to her. Leslie was concerned enough to tell a friend, but it didn't scare her away from trying to make her marriage work. She and Colin continued their counseling and part of this was to make an effort at dating again. In May of 1991, they left the four children home with a babysitter while they went out. 
Leslie's father, Harry, was also spending the night. He lived alone in the nearby coastal city of Castle Rock. He had been feeling ill, and Leslie hated the thought of him being alone. She invited him to stay at their house so she could look after him. When Leslie and Colin arrived home from their date that night, Leslie went into the kitchen where she found her father on the floor, dead. He had died of heart failure. Leslie was devastated. While the loss of a parent is hard at any time, Leslie had no emotional reserves to draw from. She was still hurting from Colin's affair with Hazel, and now she was also grieving. And as Colin watched Leslie sob, he felt nothing. Leslie, alone in her grief, told friends this showed her it was time to leave her marriage. She didn't know exactly how much money was in her father's estate, but she knew her share of it would be more than enough to set her up as a single mother while she found work. And she was right. Her inheritance was the equivalent of around half a million dollars today. But according to Colin, Leslie was contemplating a different path out of the marriage. On May 13, 1991, just days after Leslie's father died, Colin was exhausted from a day of bickering. Leslie had alternated between crying for her father's loss and yelling at Colin for not being the husband she deserved. Every time she needed him, he let her down. That night, they went to bed together. Leslie lay on her side of the bed, facing away from Colin. At least she stopped yelling at him. But as tired as he was, Colin couldn't sleep. He stared at the ceiling, miserable. A little before 3 a.m., Leslie suddenly sat up in bed. She told Colin she wished she was dead and in heaven. Maybe Colin and Hazel were meant to be together. As long as she was alive, she would never get over their affair, and she didn't think Trevor would either. Leslie then rolled over and fell back asleep. Colin sat up in bed and looked at Leslie's form under the covers. The situation had been a prison for all of them. Colin leaned over and hugged his wife as she slept. He could help her. Not just her, but Trevor too. Leslie was right. Their hurt and sadness would not go away in this life, but Colin could find a way to help them leave it behind. It would not be a murder. It would be a mercy. At 3 a.m., Colin quietly got dressed and drove to the Buchanan's house. Trevor was out on the overnight patrol, so Colin was free to enter and talk to Hazel. Colin told Hazel about his idea to solve everyone's problems. Trevor and Leslie would be at peace, and he and Hazel could be together. This path seemed so clear to him and made so much sense. He waited to hear Hazel say no or to try to talk him out of it. But she didn't. She didn't say much of anything. Perhaps she didn't know how serious he was, but Colin didn't have time to convince her just then. He had to be home before Leslie woke up. Over the next few days, Colin spent his waking moments planning the perfect murders. He knew he had to make the deaths look like an accident or a double suicide. If only Trevor and Leslie would have a car accident on one of the days they met up to discuss the affair. 
that would solve everything. But if he had to force fate's hand, a staged suicide would be easiest. And it would be the gentler death. They would simply go to sleep and not wake up. After Colin worked out the details, he met up with Hazel to talk to her about it. If Hazel hadn't taken him seriously the first time he proposed this, she had no choice but to take him seriously this time. Colin needed her help. Colin had no access to Trevor. He certainly couldn't attack Trevor while he was awake. Trevor was an armed police officer. Though Colin was in good shape, he knew not to pick a fight with someone carrying a gun. Colin didn't give her too many of the details, but she had an important role. She had to crush up sedative pills and put them in Trevor's food on May 18th. Then, she needed to move Trevor's car away from the garage. That's all. Colin would take care of the rest. Colin held the sedatives in his hand. Hazel reached out, took them, and put them in her purse. For more information on Colin Howell, amongst the many sources we used, we found Let This Be Our Secret by Derek Henderson extremely helpful to our research. Thanks again for tuning in to Crimes of Passion. We will be back Wednesday with part two of the Colin Howell story. We'll explore the details of the murder, the investigation, the cover-up, and the eventual trial. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion, as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Michael Langsner, production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler, additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Crimes of Passion is written by Charlie Worrell. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Mm-hmm.